The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, the most fascinating truth is that both detachment and oneness are realities of living. We talk about detachment, letting go, as if we can really let go of something or someone and thereby be separate from it. But the reality is that when we detach, we tell the paradoxical truth of oneness. We're never really separate from anyone or anything, though we may detach ourselves from their control over our minds. But how could oneness really be the truth if there's so much hate? So much disease, so much poverty. The shadow knows. So today we're going to be talking all about oneness as the highest form of detachment. We're going to stay here for the whole show today. So, okay, here's the deal. We talk about oneness in one side, out of one side of our mouths, and we talk about detachment out of the other side of our mouths. And we talk about uh, a lot of healthy talk about drawing boundaries and how we need to separate ourselves from people that are toxic. And we also, on the other side of our mouths, are talking about oneness. And it seems like doublespeak, doesn't it? That everything and everyone is one. And with that one idea of oneness, we have a lot of shoulds. Well, if everything and everyone is one, then I should be kind to everyone. I should be loving and, and sweet to everyone. And I, I should always be there for people when they need me. And I should always be uh, a, a, a loving, open, receptive person. Well, on the surface, that sounds really good. But when you get down to really what that means, it means that there's no room for boundaries. There's no room for uh, you to be able to come from your authentic compassion and passion Rather, you're going to come from a bunch of shoulds. So, um, oneness doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. So, I'm going to give you a definition that, that, that we'll call a working definition since I don't think that anything can be defined in any square box that just fits forever. Um, but a working definition of oneness is that oneness is uh, the deep soul connection we have with everyone and everything on the planet uh, and the universe. And so, actually, my soul, my deepest essence, which is what I call my soul, my authentic self, which is another synonym for the soul, uh, is actually connected um, in a uh, quantum physical way as well as in a, an emotional spiritual way with the planet Xylon in the... In the uh, uh, cosmos out there somewhere. So um, what that means in terms of our interactions with others, however, all kidding aside, is that 
we are deeply, profoundly connected to every other being on this planet. Uh, but our everyday interactions don't always spring from that deep inner essence of who we are. A lot of times our actions and reactions and interactions with other people come from an identity, which as we've said many, many times on this show, represent, it's the mask and costume we wear in order to cope with uh, our family of origins. That We've been taught that that's who we are and that's who we have to be. And so we live into that identity as if it's the only thing we are. And we don't realize that there is another uh, essence to who we are and sometimes that essence presents itself in terms of feelings in terms of intuitions in terms of discernments in terms of desires that uh, we must feel like we really have to fulfill and th- that's the authentic self saying hello hello I'm in here I'm alive and I want you to manifest me um, so when when we live out of an identity our interactions with other people are going to be based on that identity And so, making boundaries, so let's say that my identity is superwoman. Okay, so that means that I can fly faster than a speeding bullet and leap tall buildings in a single bound, and I'm able to do it all yesterday, and uh, you can always count on me to get it done, and and frankly, I don't think you can probably do it as good as I can do it, because I'm superwoman after all, so, you know, just let me have it. Um, That's kind of the basic motif of superwoman. And uh, so I interact with other people in that manner. And so when I'm at work, for example, I'm going to take on the tasks that other people leave behind. I'm going to get it all done yesterday, and the boss and everyone else are going to learn to count on me to get it done. And they'll probably do less and less because they, they can. They don't have to do as much because I'm doing it for them. So why should they bother? I'm doing it. What's the problem? Um, at home, I may do uh, all work for other people, like, for example, instead of insisting that my children clean up their own room, I may do it for them. Or I might not think they do it good enough, so I might come behind them and do it uh, after they've done it so that I can show them that how it ought to be done. I'm constantly frustrated with the idea that um, I'm not that I'm doing a lot of work that other people ought to do, and yet I won't let them do it. Um, so that's kind of the superwoman role. Um, I'm interacting with other people based on that. So when I start making boundaries, what I'm doing is putting myself behind those boundaries. I'm actually telling myself to stop doing what I've been doing that's not working for me anymore. So instead, I'll go into the office instead of doing everybody else's work for them. I'll stop doing that. Uh, That's a boundary for me. When somebody, I ask for volunteers to get the task done yesterday, I won't say anything. Somebody else may raise their hand or they may not. I may get appointed to do it and I may say, well, you know what? I really can't do that. My desk is stacked too high right now. Um, That would be me creating a boundary. And I'm saying no to someone else in the process, which means that I'm I'm detaching myself from that task, but uh, I'm also saying no to myself in the process. So what I'm doing is putting... I'm the gatekeeper. I'm deciding how far I leave outside that gate, where, where I stop and somebody else begins. Um, so what we do with Superwoman, we just flood right over that gate and say, I can do it all. Whereas when we put the boundary up and put a gate in there, we can say, well, I will decide what I allow it to come into my space and what I want to keep outside of my space. So that's part of the detachment process. So I'm now detaching from my role as Superwoman. 
I'm not necessarily detaching from other, I'm not necessarily separating from other people, although they may choose to not hang around with me as much as if I don't do all their work for them. But that's their choice. Uh, but what it doesn't mean is that I'm somehow now separate so that we are no longer one. Okay? So a boundary, as we talk about healthy boundaries, is, is me deciding where I stop and you begin. So another example is if I am somebody who picks up other people's emotions, I like an empath. I happen to have that particular capacity. As a therapist, it's very helpful. But I don't want to use it all the time because then, it, then I get really feeling like I'm carrying other people instead of just being myself with other people and being present with them. Um, so when, um, when a person is empathic, they tend to pick up other people's emotions. They tend to be able to walk into a room and just sort of feel the subtle nuances of, of interactions that are going on in the room. And, uh, and they might pick all that up and, act, and feel as if they're responsible for it. And that's the mistake that empaths make very commonly is that they not only can pick it up, but they pick it up and carry it as if it's theirs. And that's the problem. So now what has to happen with the healthy boundary is that that person has to say, I stop here and you begin there. So in other words, you're still responsible for your stuff. I can see it and feel it, but that doesn't mean that I'm responsible for it. That's yours. Um, so being able to give that back to them, you know, just psychologically say, I'm giving this back to you. This is not mine. This is yours. I'm actually try- robbing you of it when I pick it up and carry it because it has a gift to give you, and I'm keeping you from getting that gift by carrying it for you. Um, but I'm also keeping myself burdened down with a la- heavy load of stuff that doesn't belong to me. Um, so my, when I make a boundary, what I'm doing is saying, okay, this is where I stop. I, my responsibility for living in life stops where my issues are, uh, and your responsibility for life starts where your issues are, and that's and so that's where I'm going to keep my boundary. So when I feel your emotions coming in to my s- sort of space, I'm going to say, well, okay, I see that. Now I'm going to hand it back to you for you to handle because it's not mine to handle. And uh, so we hear about empaths not being able to detach from other people's emotions. And that's why, because there's not that ability to know that this is about responsibility, not about feelings. You can feel somebody else's feelings and not be responsible for them. Um, So when we're clear about that, then we are able to detach. But that doesn't mean we're separate from those people. Our souls are still one with their souls. Um, so I, I, that's a real important distinction for us to make because I think it can get confusing when we talk about oneness and detachment in the same paragraph. Um, we, we are one with all things and all people at that deep soul level. That doesn't mean that flesh to flesh, bone to bone, we are one with them, although there is some quantic physics, quantum physics there that, that says that we are one in that capacity as well. Um, but uh, it, it, it does mean that we are, uh, we are one at a deep, soulful level. So the paradox is this, that when we detach from other people and their stuff, we're still one with them. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we become more one with them as a result of detaching because we're now dis- clearly recognizing that we're not responsible for their stuff. That's their job. 
we're here to do our job, not their job. But we tend to think that if oneness is true, it comes, that word comes laden with a bunch of responsibilities, meaning that now since I'm one with everyone, I'm supposed to take care of everyone. No, there's no responsibility in the word oneness. It's just oneness. Okay, so um, I, I think we really need to be very, very clear on that because we don't want to double speak when we talk about these two words, detachment and oneness. We don't want to, to be confusing to people to tell them that, yes, you are one and yes, you can separate from other people. We can detach from their stuff. And we can't even uh, say, I don't, want anything, I don't want you, you're too toxic, your behavior is way too toxic, you know, for me. And it feels abusive to me, so I don't want you in my space. That doesn't mean that we're not still one with them at a soul level. And that we can't even send them kind and loving energy from a distance. It just means that in this life, on this planet, in this city, at this time, in my house, no, you're not allowed. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so that, that's, that's a healthy boundary. And, and uh, so the paradoxical truth of oneness is that when we, when we do separate from someone else, we become more one with them. It's a little like this. And I, I used the wrong word there. I said separate. I meant to say detach. When we do detach from someone else, uh, we become more one with them. And it's a little like this. We, um, when a parent or a loved one passes over, makes their transition, dies, however you want to say that, it, um, what where very commonly happens is that people feel closer to them. Um, now they can talk to them or feel feelings for them and just communicate those feelings really quickly through the ethers without thinking about, oh, I've got to go over there or pick, them up, pick up the phone and call them. Now they can just have that communion there. The connection feels stronger. It feels deeper. Um, and I have a theory that that might be because they're actually nearby. Or, or, and, and, and since we are one, then everything is nearby in that sense. So, um, so when, we, when, we're, when we make that ana- analogy there with, with that when somebody is, is passed over, we think we've detached from them. We think we're separate from them now and we can't reach them anymore. And yet when, when I've talked to people about that and, they, and I ask them about their feelings of closeness to that person, it's really common for them to say, I feel closer to them now than I did when they were alive. Um, so that's the same thing that's true with detachment. That when we detach from someone because they are toxic for us or their behavior or attitudes or whatever are toxic for us, then there may be a feeling of, okay, now I can send you my energy with honesty and with wholeness because I'm not blocked by your toxicity. I'm not, I don't feel that you're, I'm in danger when I'm around you. I can feel safe because now there's a real distance between us, but that doesn't mean that I can't send you energy, that I can't uh, pray for you if prayer is a tool that we use, or I can't um, feel just without any sending or praying, just feel some real uh, connection that is genuine. Um, and that's generally how people say when they when they've say broken up with a with someone that they were involved with uh, in a romantic capacity, they very commonly will say, "Well, yeah, I still love them. Um, I'm not ever around them because that was not good for us, but I do still love them very much." 
that transition from I can't be around you to I still love you and the feelings of anger and hostility that might come at the moment of I can't be around you that shift to I still love them over time happen because we now recognize the oneness on some level, whether we can say it or not, we recognize the oneness that is still there because we've left this person behind in terms of interacting with them here in the physical plane, but we are still recognized that there's a connection there and will always be. Once we've loved someone, we generally don't ever stop really loving them. We may we may love them in a backhanded way by hating them also because love hate is love wounded but but we but we can make that transition if we're open to it to oh i still love them of course i love them very much and why because it, now it feels safer to love them because they're not in the room anymore making me feel unsafe but i recognize the connection of oneness between us so that's an important distinction to make with regard to uh, the differences between of the sameness of detachment and oneness that when I detach from somebody what I'm really doing is detaching myself from their control over my mind and my life they no longer have the power to upset me to stress me out to uh, make me feel unsafe to uh, bother worry uh, instigate trouble etc 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 they don't have that power anymore because I have taken my personal power back by saying I don't want to be around them anymore. So I've now become the gatekeeper and I've said, this is what I want in my life and I don't want that in my life. Uh, So, and at the same time, as a result of that, I'm likely over time at least to come to, to feel a connection there again with them that feels very real, almost palpable because the oneness is still there. So we need to understand that oneness doesn't mean I'm just sort of sort of sum this up here. Oneness does not mean that we are thereby obligated in some kind of universal or cosmic way to always be loving and kind in that sense that we take care of other people. Uh, that doesn't mean that's not what oneness means. Again, I said earlier and I'll say it again, oneness does not come attached to any kind of responsibility. There's no responsibility in the word oneness. It just is. There's no requirement for us to do anything about it. It just is the truth of who we are. So we don't have to, because we're one, we don't have to go around saying, I, I, I just have to keep abusive, toxic people in my life because we're one. And doesn't that mean I'm responsible and I'm supposed to stay connected and I'm not ever supposed to let them out of my life? Doesn't that mean, isn't that what it means? No, that's not what it means. What it means is that you're one even when you're far away. And so you can get them far away and still be one. And so we have that to fall. It's like a safety net for us that even when we're detached from someone and so that they can't uh, put their stuff on us or, or we, our minds are not controlled by their behaviors, then we, we certainly do have that ability to, to recognize that there's a, a, a deep um, feeling there and maybe that comes in the form of compassion or passion, but it, the feeling is still there. Or maybe it even grows stronger as a result of... Uh, are detaching from their control over our minds. So um, so I wanted to make that really clear in this first segment because that's really, really important. And in the next segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, this uh, the thing about how it is that there can be oneness 
if there's so much hate and so much disease and war and all those things in the world, how is it possible that we really are one with each other? And as I said in the introduction to the show, the shadow does know. So we're going to learn more about that right after the break. We'll be right back. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Tune in every week for Blooming in the Light. Host Marie Helen Turenne will take you on a journey of personal growth and happiness. By using her experiences and those of her guests, she shows you that challenges in your life are really blessings in disguise. Whether you're facing aversion in parenting, education, spirituality, or other life experiences, we're here to show you a broader and lighter side. Blooming in the Light can be heard every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a PhD, a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and peace, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu 
Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And so today we're talking about the paradoxical relationship between oneness and detachment. And what we've discovered so so far is that oneness does not come wrapped up in the R word with uh, responsibility. Oneness is like gravity. It's true whether we know about it or not, whether we're engaged with it or not, whether we take responsibility in some form or fashion for the illusion that we're in charge of other people or not. Oneness is still a fact. We are one with all people, places, things, events, circumstances, etc., because that is the truth of our lives, just like gravity is the truth of our lives, whether we bounce up and down or not. Uh, so uh, that's, that's the first thing that we need to understand, and that we are not thereby responsible to keep people in our lives that are not helpful, not, uh, that are toxic for us, that are abusive to us, or people that are using us in some kind of way that's manipulative. We don't have to keep those people in our lives because we're one with them even if we ask them to leave our lives. Uh, because oneness exists, just like gravity, whether we know about it or not. So we are one with all people at a real baseline level, at the essential core level of our beings, and that will not ever change. So we asked the question just before the break, how can oneness really be true if there's so much hate, so much disease, and so much poverty? Well, let's talk about hate for just a minute. Hate is love wounded. Hate means that Uh, You have hurt me so much that I have to protect myself by hating you. Hate is anger and love mixed up in a strange combination that comes out looking like hate. Um, And so when we say we hate a person, what we're really saying is I love that person so much that, that, uh, that my anger is in a rageful place at this point uh, because they've hurt me so many times or so deeply. Um, or both. And so hate is a kind of shadow side of love. So what does that got to do with oneness? Well, we can hate someone and still be one with them. At a soul core level, we are one with other people, whether we hate them or not. Now, again, that doesn't mean we're responsible in any way for those other people or that we owe them something because of oneness. It's just a fact. Uh, but it does. What it does mean is that that connection that is made of hate is real and vital, and it has an energetic uh, value to it. And so, when we're talking about uh, the connection between two people, I'll tell you a story. I worked with some people a long time ago, where uh, uh, one of the I heard the the wife say that the the son and the father fought all the time. And the son and the father, uh, when they fought, that was the only time they made eye contact. They would look right in each other's faces and yell at each other. And the fights were getting worse, and the, uh, and the mother was upset about it and didn't want it to continue. And so she, she wanted them to stop doing that. And what we did was we realized that the, 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 that connection they had, the only time they made eye contact was a result in part, of their idea of what it was like to be a man. So as a man, I'm not supposed to be all mushy, cuddly, soft, and sweetie with another man, right? According to their definition. And uh, they 
would therefore find this way of connecting that allowed them to make eye contact with each other and to really say what they needed to say in some kind of way that revealed their need for intimate connection, but they couldn't do it in the normal ways of just hugging each other and saying, I love you. Uh, And when when we saw that, it was really kind of funny. Everybody saw it at the same time. And there was this real transition that took place, and they began to say, well, how we're doing that, we can just uh, start relating more accurately, more appropriately. So you would have thought that from their interactions that they hated each other. But in reality, they loved each other very deeply, and they found this way of interacting that seemed to work for the, both of them, that um, kept them from having to go out of their manly man role and get stay uh, involved in each other's lives in spite of that. Um, so that's one example of how that, that thing of hatred works. I've also seen people use hatred as a way of surviving, whereby they, uh, like for example, they've had an abusive parent, and they grow up hating that parent. And um, But their ha- what their hatred does is not let them get all absorbed in the parent's agenda and get all you know, sort of sucked into the toxicity. So that hatred gives them just enough distance to keep themselves from, it gives them a little bit of detachment that allows them to not get all caught up in the toxicity so that they identify with the toxicity and make it about them. I've seen uh, over the years working with people, I've seen people identify with the parent's stuff as a way of trying to be close to the parent. And what that does is the stuff just makes the child very sick. Uh, whereas, and I don't mean physically sick, I mean sick in terms of their ability to react and respond in a healthy way to life. Uh, whereas a child who grows up hating their parent at least makes the uh, at least acknowledges that what the parent's doing is toxic or abusive, um, and that way they don't get absorbed in it. And so hatred can be a way of keeping that child safe to some degree um, and helping them survive. So you know. Um, hate, when we think of hate, we think, oh, well, that's not oneness. Well, there's nothing that can disturb oneness because it's a fact, like gravity. It just works all the time. So hatred doesn't have any impact whatsoever on oneness. So when you say you hate someone, you say, oh, I must not, I must not be feeling my oneness. Well, maybe you're not feeling your oneness, but that doesn't mean it's not there. Um, uh, and hate is a kind of oneness even though it's kind of convoluted, it is a kind of oneness because it is a way of staying connected to someone who has wounded you. If I hate them, I'm still connected. If I stop hating, then that's when I'm detached. So I've, I've given that back to them at that point. I've given their stuff back to them, and I don't need to get all emotional about it. Uh, and, uh, and that's a form of oneness as well. Detachment is as well because there's nothing that can't be a form of oneness because oneness is a fact of life. Um, so what about disease? Well, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'll be clear about that. And I'm not going to tell you the source of all disease is sin or anything like that because I'm also not of that ilk. But I, I am, uh, I do believe that disease is one of those things we suffer with. Uh, and so suffering is a part of what we do here on planet Earth because we don't live into a conscious awareness of our oneness with others and with the divine. We live out of an identity it says, for the most part, that there's du- the duality is the truth, that, that, that uh, 
uh, each individual is a separate entity unto him or herself, and each individual is separate from the divine as well. And so there's no connection between us and other people, and you're alone in the universe, and that's just how it is. And because we live from that paradigm instead of the paradigm of oneness, we, we can, uh, we can give, get all stressed out, which creates a lot of diseases. We can um, eat badly. We can drink too much. We can smoke. We can do all kinds of things that uh, might, uh, you know, uh, really uh, harm our bodies. So, uh, disease, and that may be the cause of disease, or there may be something genetic that also causes diseases that, uh, that is just inherited, and we don't know, you know, we can't say, well, that happened by some, by some kind of divine rule, or, or that um, someone was bad and they deserved this illness, Are these, uh, why we suffer in those particular ways, I, I could not answer that question, but I do know that it, we do. And I do know we live in a duality kind of paradigm, and that paradigm doesn't help us when it comes to understanding uh, who we are relative to each other and to the divine with regard to disease. So we say, we can say well, if oneness is true, and we really are one with the divine, then why do we have diseases? Well, we really are one with the divine, but we don't always believe that we're one with the divine. And if there's a reason for disease... That, that I could put into words, that would be it. Now, I, w- I don't want to s- imply by any way that we are causing our own diseases. I'm not saying, I do think sometimes we can get into stress-related diseases and we have to own responsibility for that. But, I, but certainly diseases a child is born with, uh, you know, that's a reality of life. Who knows why that happened? And... Um, and, uh, you know, is it true that that person uh, chose that before life to come in to, for some reason to give a gift to someone else or to learn something themselves and to then to leave that life and reincarnate and, and into something else and, and create some kind of possibility that we learned from that disease that we can bring into the next life? I think that's very plausible. Is it a fact? I can't prove it. Uh, but I think it's plausible, and it would fit with the paradigm of oneness, which says that everything is still one. So if I come into a life and, with, uh, as a child with a, a difficult disease and I die early, or I come into a life where my parents are um, addicted or unable to take care of me in some kind of way and I die early as a result of that, then, then we might, through the concept of oneness, begin to look for the gift we might be able to say, okay, what's the gift in this? And that may take a while because at first we're probably pretty mad and pretty upset and grieving tremendously. But uh, eventually, maybe, I can't guarantee it, but maybe there's a gift there. I think we can look for it anyway and see what that's pos- how that's possible. Uh, but it, it does, it, it's not going to always make sense to us. There are mysteries that I'm not going to be able to explain. That doesn't mean that oneness is not still a fact, because like gravity, oneness still exists. So what about poverty? Now, when we talk about poverty, uh, we're talking about something that just makes a lot of us really concerned, because there's so much wealth in this world, and there's so much poverty in this world. And the few people that are so very wealthy 
are not necessarily sharing their wealth with the people that are poor. Um, not to say that there aren't wealthy people out there giving tremendous amount of money to charity and time and energy as well. There truly are a lot of philanthropists out there. Um, but where poverty is concerned, what's very commonly happening is, A, governments are interfering with, uh, with people in a way that's oppressive so that the people are not able to get the supplies and, the, and their needs met. Um, education is not allowed into certain areas of the world so that people lo- know how to build a, a, a crop, build a, a soil for crops and um, bring in clean water and those kinds of things. Um, there are a lot of things that we operate out of in terms of our identities. So I'm scrambling for money because I think money is how I'm going to be okay um, so therefore, I have to keep you from getting money because if you get the money, then I won't have enough. And that's a, a dualistic frame of reference that does not recognize oneness. So I'm living into an identity that says that I, uh, that I, that I have to do these things in order to survive. I have to make sure you don't get my money because if you do, then I might not survive. And uh, so that does not does not uh, rely on oneness for its for its uh, philosophical underpinnings. Um, but there are a lot of people who live that way, and that's why we have greed in the world. And there are uh, people in the middle class who are just as greedy as people on the, in the upper class. And there are some people in the in the po- in, that are in the poverty class that of of uh, socioeconomic means that that also feel greedy because it feels like there's not enough. Now, from the prospect of oneness, there's always enough. There's always enough. But, and that's the, that's the truth, but most of us don't live out of that, and therefore, there's people scrambling for money that are keeping it from other people, and therefore, we have poverty. Um, so, again, we can live out of something other than oneness, but that doesn't mean oneness isn't true. That doesn't mean that oneness is not a fact of life like gravity. It does mean that we don't have to live out of it. We can live out of a dualistic frame of mind that says, I got mine, you get yours, and don't be asking me for anything. Uh, um, so there, that to the degree that we have this immense wealth in the world, it's my belief that if we spread that wealth around, that there would be no more poverty, that that. You know, money is just uh, the way we decided a long time ago to bargain with each other. Uh, it doesn't have to be the fact. It doesn't have to be how we live, but it is how we live. But since we don't trust ourselves to live from our deepest oneness, therefore, we live from the rules of money. And those rules mean that I got mine, and you'll have to get yours. And if I'm scrambling around trying to make sure you don't get mine, then you are less likely to get yours. Um, so, poverty is, is the shadow side of wealth. Hate is the shadow side of, of love. Disease is the shadow side of health. So, what do I mean by shadow? Well, shadow means something that's in the dark, something we can't see as well, something we can't understand as well. We understand wealth. I mean, there, this is a nation in America where... You know, we're watching famous people all the time on TV, and we want to know what clothes they're wearing, and we want to see inside their homes, and 
We want to know about their personal lives, and especially when they screw up and do something really insane, we want to know about that. But um, uh, and that's because we're all up in wealth and fame. We we are uh, enamored of it. Um, and yet, all around us, there's absolute poverty, uh, not just in foreign countries, uh, third world countries, but also right here in the United States. There's a lot of poverty that we just ignore because, well, that's those people. Um, and we, that's us saying uh, we're not one with other people. Now, again, that doesn't mean we're supposed to rush off and give those people all of our money uh, as a way of being responsible for them, but we are still one with them. We are one, they are one with us and we are one with them. And so that connection means that there's a way for us to make it uh, possible for all people to have what they need. We just have to work on that together. And that's the piece that we're missing right now, is working on it together. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about the shadow stuff when we come back. And that's the part that we really need to understand so that we can understand this paradox of detachment and oneness completely. So you want to be here for that. We'll be back in just a minute. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Sit back, relax, breathe. Reconnect to the still, small voice within. Take the time to make a weekly visit to the sounds of the heart. With host Sandy Goldstone, this unique program will help you cultivate and strengthen your heart's connection and feel love beauty, and joy. You don't need to fear or suffer. Heed the call. Say yes to living from the heart's truth. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Join the evolving consciousness of humanity. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back talking today about that fascinating truth that both detachment and oneness are realities of living. The thing is, though, that we choose to detach, and, and, and that makes us aware of the fact of oneness, or it can make us aware of it. It doesn't always, but it can. Um, 
So we said we'd talk about the shadow part. So what do, what do I mean when I say the word shadow? A shadow is something dark that we don't see as well, and it's caused by the light. The interesting thing about a shadow is it's caused by the light. Um, so if we put so much weight in the conscious world on, for example, this is just one way of looking at it, um, if I'm really trying really, really hard to be good, then I'm repressing everything in me that I think is bad. Therefore, um, that bad stuff is in my shadow while this bright light of goodness is shining out there in the world. So it's my shadow side is caused by trying to be so good. Now, I will say that the shadow means all of the unconscious and part of what's in the unconscious for most of us is the authentic self because we're not living out of it. We've put it away so that we can live out of an identity that isn't who we are, but somebody else. And that's, that's true for a, a good percentage of us, and I would say close to up in the 90s percent, percentages, that we are not living into who we actually are. We're living into an identity. And when we do that, what we do is we say, I have to be this small uh, caricature of, of, of a person so that I can be okay, so that I can exist, so that I can survive. And that, uh, so, so if that's the good guy, I'm trying to be the good guy, just like the example I gave a minute ago, well then, I'm going to be good, good, good. That's all I can do is I've got to be there for other people and I've got to sacrifice myself for other people and I've got to be loving and kind all the time even when other people aren't for me and I've got to be the teacher and the role model and when everybody does things wrong, I've got to do things right and I've got to be uh, on top of things all the time and do things really perfectly and graduate and get a good job and, 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 and have enough money to pay for everybody's everything because I'm a good person and that's what I have to do. And that's all I can see is that identity. That's my everything else is secondary or tertiary to that identity. So I'm living out of that. How would I f- see uh, uh, the other realities? I've pushed those back into the unconscious. They're back there. That's my shadow. What's also in the unconscious, according to Carl Jung, is everything that we're going to eventually make conscious. So all of our potentialities. All of our possibilities are in the unconscious. Everything that we will one day be was started in the unconscious. Everything that we become conscious of eventually was once unconscious. That's according to Carl Jung. And I agree with that. So we are growing into who we are out of the ground, the dark ground of our unconsciousness. So when we say that um, hate is the shadow side of love... What we're saying is that hate is, the, is a fertile ground for our growth into further understanding of oneness. Yes, I just said that. Hate is a fertile ground for our future understanding of oneness because hate is one of those things that we that is the shadow side of love. It's the dark side of love. It's the part we don't like. It's the part we want to repress. It's the part we want to put away. It's the part that's not so pretty. Uh, disease, in some sense, can be the shadow side of health in that in that when we have a disease there's something there that it will that it creates as a fertile ground for the potential eventually of health maybe but also the potential for other soul uh, um, soulful ways of looking at life other ways of being authentic other ways of, of um, really expanding our experience of life um, so so 
That's what I mean by the shadow of that. Poverty, in the same way, some of the most beautiful people I've ever met are living in abject poverty. Um, You know, I've heard other people talk about it. I haven't ever been to some of the other third world countries in the world, but I have talked to other people who have been there, and they've said the same thing, that some of these people are the most giving, the most kind, the most loving people, and they're living in abject poverty. So... um, when we, when we talk about poverty being the shadow side of wealth, we have to wonder if wealth isn't also the shadow side of poverty. Um, so that because uh, we tend to, there's a tendency with wealth to, to imagine oneself um, higher, more noble, more uh, capable uh, than than others, and that's why we have this sort of thinking that's out there today. Sort of one of the arguments that's on the political scene right now is that you know should we be there and help other people with things like health care and um, you know uh, Medicare and things like that? Should we be helping other people that way, or should we just get rid of that stuff and every, leave everybody to their own devices? And the wealthier uh, people, the, the, that ph- ph- philosophy tends to come from the wealthy people who are saying, well, let's just leave everybody to their own devices. Whereas the people from the middle and the, un- and the more poor uh, socioeconomic statuses uh, are saying, no, we, we need to spread the wealth around. And um, so it, that sense that poverty is the, is the shadow side of, of wealth we may have to also consider wealth is also the shadow side of poverty. But either way, the shadow material there, the unconscious material there, is that we're not one. The unconscious material says we don't, we don't have enough. There's not enough for everybody. And oneness would say, of course there's one with everything. Uh, of course there's enough for everybody. Everything is one. What's the problem here? I mean, it makes no sense to oneness that we have poverty. It makes no sense to oneness that we have an unequal distribution of, 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 of the capacity to take care of ourselves, whereas wealthy people can take really good care of themselves and people that are poor cannot because they don't have the money to do that. So from the perspective of oneness, what that means is that, um, that, that we can recognize that we already own everything, that everything already belongs to us, And we can thereby take what is ours. And I don't mean go out and rob a store. (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, we we can have what is ours to have if we really solidly believe that oneness is the truth. When we don't really solidly believe that, we we have a harder time. And oppression, lack of education, um, imbalanced socioeconomic means, those create that, that inability for us to see clearly that we that everything is one. So, the shadow is the unconscious. Carl Jung said it was the whole of the unconscious. It includes archetypal memory, according to him, things that we know just because we're human beings, and all other generations have known these same things. Things that we don't know how we knew. Um, he had a, a, a patient one time that dreamed a dream of some Bible verses that were very clear Bible verses. And Carl, you went and looked them up and there they were. But this was a person who had never studied the Bible before in their lives. And yet they had this dream that told them about these Bible verses. Some people might say that's God talking to the person. Okay, I don't know. I don't have any reason to dispute that. 
Um, but other people say that's a kind of memory that says we have we we remember stuff we didn't know we knew. And I would add that that's possibly a part of reincarnation that we have lived another life and and understood things before and now the mind is remembering those things. So um, we could say that same thing about uh, a prodigy that they come in with this innate intelligence about something and maybe that's because they had another life where they were able to do that thing very easily. Um, I I can't say that that's a fact but uh, it makes sense. It makes sense especially when you consider oneness because if oneness is true then not only is life one with all of life, but death is also one with life. And so it, that makes sense in the circle of, of reincarnation that that a person would be one, uh, live that life as one, die into oneness, come back into oneness, and that, that the whole thing is one long strain of that soul becoming more and more aware of who it is as a divine being in oneness. Um, so we've talked about that before in other, in other, um, uh, on the other radio shows, but I think it's really important to talk about this thing of the, the unconscious because I think that's where the shadow comes into play. So one of the things we do with shadow is we project so if I'm very wealthy and I'm very afraid of not being wealthy, then I, pro- I might, I'm not saying this is true for every wealthy person, I um, want to make that clear, but I might have the potential, for example, to say, well, those poor people are shameful and I don't want to have that shame in my life. Therefore, I'm just going to be wealthy and take care of myself and I'm not going to worry about them because they just need to grab themselves by the bootstraps and pull themselves up like I did. And if they can do that, then they'll be all right. And that's all I'm going to think about that because I don't want to think about those people. They're, they're, maybe I think of them as lazy or irresponsible because if they were just more uh, responsible, then maybe they would be more like me and have a lot of wealth. And that's me projecting onto that class of people my, my feelings about how, what they're really like. And what happens, because we're one, projections can indeed be received by a class of people, especially when a large class of people are projecting onto another class of people. Um, And I use the word class very loosely there. Um, That that what will happen is we get imbalanced in that way because I'm I'm one class, one group of people is projecting onto the other group of people how that other people are those other people are and those other people are introjecting that information as if it were fact this happened a lot with uh with uh with race uh still happens a lot with race but it happened a lot earlier uh in the in the days of slavery when black people were considered to be less than as and and just you know not really even human and uh, so that we could enslave them and use them in any way we wanted to because they weren't really human um, and that idea comes from a projection and what happened in a lot of cases is that the that the the black race received that and interjected it so that they began to feel that that they were less than that they weren't they didn't have any rights that they couldn't own their own lives and now of course there's a lot of people out there of the african americans that are 
are people of color that are actually standing up and saying, wait a minute, I do matter. I'm, I'm important. I'm a real person. You have to treat me like a real person. And of course, that's really wonderful. I'm so glad they're being able to do that because what they're doing when they do that is handing back the projection. And they're saying, no, I am not what you projected onto me. You, that's your projection. That's your stuff. I don't have to own that. And that's them taking back their own essence and, and believing in that. So oneness would say you have the right to give back that projection because all people are one. And when you take that projection on as if it's you, then you're assuming that one, a distorted form of oneness that means I have to be who you think I am and, and identifying with it rather than just being one, which is a more true way of saying that since gravity works, oneness works. We're all one whether we like each other or not, whether we treat each other well or not, whether we're kind to each other or not, we're still one. But if we could believe in it, if we could trust in it, it would change how we interact with each other entirely. And that is where uh, that whole mystery of detachment and oneness comes into play. Because if I believe in myself, then I have a right to take out of my life anything that I don't want in there. And yet, that makes me more one with other people as I'm being more authentic and, and uh, not separate from anyone ever. So I hope this has made it clear today, uh, this whole uh, conundrum, this whole mystery of detachment and oneness. And we're going to be talking some more next week. So be here for that. Um, and remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.